Let's pause to pray. Almighty God, what a strange paradox. The king is coming, the people rejoice, singing Hosanna in the highest, yet fail to understand that the king they welcome is the servant king, the king who washes his disciples' feet, the king who came not with an army, but a weapon so powerful that not even death could resist the sacrificial love of God laid out upon a cross. Lord God, as we sing our hosannas today, may we remember also that which you are riding toward, the suffering and rejection, pain and humiliation, the cruel cross, and let us look forward to the joy of Easter Day when you rose from death to reign forever. Help us as we daily lay our lives before you to live the resurrection life that acknowledges Jesus as Lord and King over our lives. In his great and holy name we pray. Amen. <coughs> this morning's Old Testament scripture reading comes from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah lived about 500 years before Christ, so this prophecy came 500 years before Palm Sunday. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through, 9, 9 through 13. It's in, on page 1013 in your pew Bible. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Thank you, Scott. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, our Palm Sunday reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, 28 to 40. It may be found on page 1117 of your Red Pew Bible, Luke chapter 19, 28 to 40. Listen to the word of the Lord. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied 
on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. Now, Lord, as we look at these words and we reflect on these words, we pray, O Lord, that by your Spirit you would continue to move in our hearts. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. And some of the Pharisees and the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. These are tough words from Jesus. He's telling these Pharisees that they're so dense that even the stones understand better than they do who he really is. I mean, the Pharisees should be joining in the celebration. After all, Jesus is the Son of God. He's come to take away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist said so many years ago. And and now they're coming into Jerusalem, and they should join in the celebration. But the Pharisees, they don't want to be a part of this party. They don't want to join in the celebration. They're telling Jesus that he needs to to rebuke his disciples for, for saying that he is the king. Why are the Pharisees so resistant to join in the parade? I mean, doesn't everybody like a parade? I love a parade. We, we live in Puckett, which is near Amarillo High, and the homecoming parade goes by our house. And, and the moment we hear it, we run out of the house to go to the parade because everyone loves a parade, right? Why don't the Pharisees want to participate in this parade? I thought everybody liked a parade. Reminds me of the story of little Johnny who was five years old. Johnny was normally in the nursery uh, on Sunday mornings during worship, but uh, because he was five, he learned that he was going to get to participate in Palm Sunday, a part of the procession that we all just participated in. Didn't that take you back to childhood, getting to drop those off? Man, that's a lot of fun. And Johnny wanted to participate in that, although he didn't know much about Palm Sunday, but unfortunately on Palm Sunday, Johnny gets sick, and so he has to stay home. His parents hire a babysitter to watch him, and and when the parents come home, they, they come home with their palm fronds. And, and Johnny asks, well, what are the palm fronds for? And the father explains, well, you know, when Jesus came, everyone waved their palm fronds as a way of celebrating and, and rejoicing in his arrival. And Johnny shook his head and said, man, I can't believe it. The one time I miss church and Jesus shows up. 
When Jesus is here, don't we want to celebrate? Why wouldn't the Pharisees want to participate in the glorious parade that they're having for Jesus? Haven't they seen all that Jesus has done? Why don't they want to participate in the parade that's ha- that they're having for Jesus? Well, some scholars argue that the Pharisees fear that this bold celebration where the disciples are saying Jesus is the king might startle the Roman officials in Jerusalem. The Romans may think that Jesus is some kind of king who's trying to bring an uprising, and so they might shut down their plans for their Passover celebration. But what kind of king comes in a lowly donkey, humbly? I mean, when Alexander the Great rode into Jerusalem, he rode in a white stallion as a great tall king, as a warrior king. But this Jesus walks in, comes into the city of Jerusalem on a, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And of course, as we just saw from Scott, this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah, written hundreds of years before Jesus entered Jerusalem. Yes, most scholars point out that really what the Pharisees were upset about was not so much the Roman officials and the concern that Jesus might startle them and they might shut down the Passover celebration, but rather they're upset because ultimately they don't want Jesus to be in control. They don't want to recognize that Jesus is a greater religious leader than they are. I mean, the Pharisees had been the religious experts for centuries now. They were viewed as the ones who really knew what was going on and what God wanted. But throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus has been challenging the Pharisees, specifically their self-righteous hypocrisy. The Pharisees will say one thing with their lips, but they'll do something very different with their lifestyles. Yes, through his bold, insightful preaching and numerous miracles, Jesus has made it clear that God has come near, that Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, fully God and fully man, son of the most high God, born of a virgin, as we read in Luke chapter 1, as when we read that during Advent, he is God's one and only son, yet the Pharisees fail to join in the celebration because ultimately they're too proud to follow Jesus. The Pharisees, they want to remain in control. How often can our pride prevent us from giving God the reign of our lives and following God's call? As you read through the Gospels, we can see that Jesus tells us to to forgive those who have hurt us, to turn the other cheek. But often we'd rather hold a grudge or gossip about those who have hurt us. Jesus tells us to go the extra mile and to do all that we can to love our neighbor as ourselves, but in our own self-absorption, we tend to fail to notice the needs of our neighbors. Jesus tells us that we're called to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we often treat God as a spare tire in our lives rather than the steering wheel which he is called to be. It's like that old Carrie Underwood song. You may remember, Jesus, Take the Wheel. She tells a story about driving on uh, some black ice and losing control of her car. And she she cries out in desperation, recognizing that not only is her car out of control, but so is her life. And she says, Jesus, take the wheel. But shouldn't Jesus always be in the driver's seat of our lives? Shouldn't we always give Jesus the reign of our lives, the reins of our lives to be in control? You know, as American Christians, we are so wealthy, technologically advanced, and self-sufficient that we often don't realize or think that we really need Jesus each and every day. We just call upon him when we get into trouble. My time in the slums of whether it be Kenya, Mexico, or Cuba helped me meet some people who pray daily to Jesus 
for their daily bread. When we say the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, they're literally praying that because they're not sure where their next bread is going to come from. They're asking God, relying on God for his provision. Now, globally, the churches in places like Africa, Latin America, and Asia are growing exponentially. But the church, the self-sufficient church in the United States is shrinking, even though we continue to grow in our population as a country. The church in the United States is the wealthiest church in the world. But in our wealth, sometimes we can be tempted to think that we don't really need God unless, in case, except in cases of emergency. We may think that we're self-sufficient. We don't really need to pray to God. It was interesting. I got to know a pastor from Southeast Asia who lives in a country where he is persecuted regularly. And as I was talking to him about his journey through the United States, raising awareness of the persecuted church around the world, I asked him what were his impressions. And, And sadly, this is what he told me. He said, you know, I'm shocked at how much the church in America tries to do without prayer. What might God do to the church in America if we spent more time each and every day in the morning and the evening praying for God's guidance, praying for God's direction, humbling ourselves, saying, Jesus, you take the wheel. You're in the driver's seat of my life. As Paul exhorts the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5, 16 to 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When was the last time we we prayed without ceasing? We just thank God for all of his many blessings, praying with thanksgiving. When was the last time we we, we prayed and, and, and we didn't fill it with supplications or requests to God, but we just thank God for his many blessings? Because if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm included, most of my prayers are, well, they're filled with needs I have or requests I have or supplications rather than simply thanksgiving. What are we thankful for today? What are we celebrating exactly? Of course, I know that sometimes, sometimes it can be hard to celebrate. It can be hard to celebrate when the layoff comes or the relationship ends or we see a loved one struggling through some type of illness. It can be hard to celebrate in those moments. And yet the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How can Paul write such a thing, telling us to rejoice always in all circumstances? Really, Paul? Have you seen the circumstances of our lives? Many scholars point out that uh, 1 Thessalonians is either the first or the second uh, letter that we ha- written by Paul that we have in the New Testament today. And so it's one of the oldest letters. It was early in Paul's ministry that he wrote this. Maybe he's just a little naive when he writes to the church in Thessalonica that they should rejoice always in all circumstances give thanks. I mean, Paul hadn't experienced the depth of his persecution that he would later experience. It is true that in Damascus, he, he barely escapes death. And it, it's also true that in Lystra, he's able to survive a stoning. And, and he was flogged and arrested in Philippi. But still, this is one of his earliest letters. I mean, after years and years of persecution, is, G- is Paul still going to write to people that we should rejoice always? Well, while 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest letters that Paul has written that we have in the New Testament, every scholar agrees that Philippians is one of the later letters that Paul writes. And as we turn to Philippians, specifically Philippians 4, verse 4, we read, Paul writes again, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, 
rejoice. And Paul writes these words while he's in a Roman prison cell, certain that he's going to die very soon. How can Paul write these words that we should rejoice always, and again I will say rejoice, in the midst of a prison cell when he knows that his own life is about to come to an end? Let's continue reading Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we will pray to God with thanksgiving, thanking God for his many blessings, remembering all that God has already done for us and how he has delivered us and saved us, and then we make a request known to him, we will find the peace that truly passes all understanding. After 12 years at Harvard University, Texan Sean Acor wrote a book that has become very popular in business circles today. It's called The Happiness Advantage. In this book, The Happiness Advantage, he points out that the most successful performers in every industry consistently have a positive outlook. And through his research, he's making the compelling case that their success is due to their happiness, not vice versa. He points out that mistakenly, we often believe that, well, if I'm successful, then I'll be happy. But he points out that success is often a moving target. He uses Harvard as the perfect example. Everyone who's been accepted to Harvard was normally top of their class in the high school. They were valedictorian and salutatorian. And you would think that they've been successful, and so they should be very happy people. But the reality is not everyone at Harvard is happy. Because when you get to Harvard, well, now you're in a school full of really smart people, and you're no longer top of the class. That target for success has moved. And so you often feel the stress and the, and the, and the worry of trying to be at the top of the class. In his book, Happiness Advantage, Sean Aker points out that after studying numerous executives, he found that there are certain habits that the most successful people all have. And one of those habits is giving thanks regularly. He encourages his readers to actually keep a a gratitude journal where every day you write three new things that you're grateful for, and then you write down a brief description about some special event, something that was good that day. He says, this begins to train our brain to begin to look for the positive, to begin to look for the blessings of this life. Of course, Sean Acor isn't telling us anything that the Apostle Paul doesn't already say. For as we continue to read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Where are our hearts and minds today? Are we worried about all that we have to do this next week? Are we worried about the facts that tax day's coming and I haven't finished those? What are we worried about today? Where are our, is our minds? Are they focused on the goodness of God or the worries of this world? Where do we tend to focus our attention? Richard Foster, in his best-selling book, Celebration of Discipline, actually explains that celebration is a spiritual discipline. It, It takes work. He says this about celebration. Freedom from anxiety and care forms the basis for celebration. Because we know he cares for us, we can cast all our cares upon him. We will never have a carefree indifference of things until we trust God. When we trust God, we are free to rely entirely upon him to provide what we need. 
When we determine to dwell on the good and the excellent things in this life, we'll be so full of those things that they will tend to swallow our problems. The decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. One of the things I love about growing up in West Texas, uh, in Midland, and now being back here in Amarillo, I love the sunrises and the sunsets that we have every day. The next time you're driving to work, just notice the the beautiful red hues and and just take a moment as you're driving to work to thank God for his creation. And as you're heading home and that sun begins to set, thank God for his amazing artistic ability. What does Jesus tell the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, don't worry about tomorrow for today has enough worries of its own. He tells us to consider the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. Doesn't God clothe the lilies and doesn't he feed the birds? How much more important are we? and the birds, and the lilies. Yes, God is in control. He's with us. He's for us. We see that in the cross of Christ. Now, we all know that life isn't easy. There are going to be challenges. Jesus says that in John 16 to his disciples. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But we should take heart, for he has overcome the world. Life, it doesn't always go according to our plans, does it? But as we look at our Palm Sunday text this morning, we can see very clearly that despite that life doesn't go according to our plans, Jesus is always in control. Notice as we read this story about that first Palm Sunday, Jesus tells his disciples exactly where they need to go to find the colt that he is to ride. Because Jesus is omniscient, he's all-knowing. And in his all-knowing nature, he also tells them exactly what to say in order to get that colt from the owner. And Jesus, as we can see throughout the Gospel of Luke, has been telling his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem in order to suffer, in order to die, and then be raised on the third day, ultimately for our redemption. Yes, make no mistake about it. Jesus is in control of this parade. He's the one planning the parade. He's the one planning the celebration. And while this parade proves to be a death march for Jesus, he knows that ultimately his death is for our good. It is for our salvation. And so it is right for all of us to celebrate. Yes, what are you celebrating today? And just as importantly, who are we inviting to join us in that celebration? As you know, over the last three weeks, we have been encouraging everyone uh, to take an invite card, one of these simple cards that you can give to a waiter or a waitress or a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate. Uh, who have you been able to invite to join us in the celebration? This last Saturday, I was uh, having my wife's car ch- oils changed at the Jiffy Lube on 34th Street, and as I walked into the uh, waiting room, I, I heard them playing a, a Christian radio station. It was Chris Tomlin, and so I just mentioned to the attendant, oh, I love Chris Tomlin, and, and he said, oh, thanks. And then I just felt prompted by the Spirit. I said, well, hey, wh- wh- where do you go to church? And he began to give me his church background. He was raised Roman Catholic and a lot of other details, but then he told me ultimately that right now he's not going to church because on Sundays he, he mows lawns, and so he has to work. And I said, oh, man. I know it must be hard to work seven days a week, but hey, if you ever want to find a church, we'd love to have you. And I just pulled out this card and I handed it to him. So we'd love to have you at First Pres. It's downtown. He goes, oh yeah, that's the pretty church with the arches. Yeah, we'd love to have you. We've got three services, 830, 11, 11.05. It's all in the back, easy to read. Who is God calling you to invite, to, to join us in this celebration, the celebration of God's redemptive love, the celebration that God is with us and for us in Jesus Christ? Now, if you're not sure who God wants you to invite, then like Paul instructs us in 1 Thessalonians and in Philippians, we need to pray. We need to pray for God's direction. 
Who knows how God might answer these prayers? Who is it that God might bring into our lives, on our paths, or in our place of work, in our neighborhood, where it feels very natural to invite them to join us for our Sunday celebration? Now, there are appropriate and inappropriate ways to invite someone to church, and so I just want to give you an example of how not to do it. I've got a little video here to show you how not to invite someone to church. Hey, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And today we want to show you how to invite someone to church. Okay, here we are at Mission Control. We have our equipment, we have cameras over there and over there, and these are going to be real people Chachi's talking to, right? Yeah, real neighbors that I'm going to invite to church. All right, here we go. Okay, here comes an older gentleman. Do you see him? Yeah. Okay, who's that? That's Kenneth. He's a real hoot. Okay, this is a great opportunity for you to highlight how your church is primarily under 40 and how you lack the experience and wisdom that can come from someone older and wiser. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, let me do a sound check. Great. Okay, go, go, go. Showtime. Oh, hey, Kenneth. Can I ask you a question? It's Carl. (laughs) That's what I thought it was. I was going to ask you to come to church with me sometime because there's no one like you at my church. I mean, not even remotely. (laughs) It was fine. It was more your delivery. It sounded, you said it in a negative way. Yeah, I messed that one up. Sorry, Johnny. It's okay. Let's just try again. Okay, there's another guy. Who's that? Yeah, that's Samuel. He's a businessman in the neighborhood, and he's working way too many hours. Okay, well, that's an opportunity to meet Samuel where he's at, okay? Chachi, when you speak to him, make sure he knows that church is like an oasis compared to the daily grind of the office. Okay, it's nothing like work. Nothing like work. You got it? Yeah, I got it. Okay, sound check. Good. Go, go, go. Oh, hey, Samuel. Beautiful day. Hey, man. I was wondering if sometime you wanted to visit my church with me. What time do you owe me? It's not your business. <laughs> it sounded like you said it's none of your business. Well, I meant to say it's not like your business. It, it didn't sound like that. Felt like you got it. I didn't think this was difficult. Well, give me one more chance. Let's do one more. Okay. Hey, Johnny, Johnny. That's my next-door neighbor, Cam, and her three kids. They love me. This will be a great one. Okay. Well, your church does have a great kids program. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's do this. Okay? Tell them that, basically, they're going to learn godly principles and that they'll get lost in all the fun. Okay. Kids, lost, fun. Got it. Okay. All right. You want to check my mic one more time? It's great. Okay. Right back. How y'all doing? Good to see you. Hi, Cam. Man, he is getting really, really big. I thought I'd come by and invite you guys to church sometime. Would you kids like that? Yeah. Church? Yeah. You should come to church with me sometime if you ever want to see your kids again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's because you get lost in all the fun. Good, Good talk. Talk to you later. Yeah, we definitely need to pray and and do it our own way. Uh, We don't want it to seem forced or pushy when we invite someone to church. We just want to pray that God would give us the words to speak. And the truth is that if 
If our joy in the Lord, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit, right, love, joy, peace, patience, we have so much to celebrate in gratitude for God's amazing love, that our joy for the Lord should be contagious, and it should feel very natural to invite someone to join us in the celebration. What are you celebrating today? Who are you going to invite to join us in that celebration? In our text this morning, the disciples on that first Palm Sunday are celebrating Jesus' arrival to the city, and so they begin to sing one of the Psalms of Hillel, the Psalms of Passover, Psalm 118. To the top of their lungs, they say, hey, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jews from all over the known world have gathered in Jerusalem, and the disciples want to make sure that everybody knows that Jesus is the King, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior that we've been praying for, that we've been waiting for, finally. And so they sing to the top of their lungs because they're so grateful for all that they have seen Jesus do. During his three short years of public ministry, the disciples have seen Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, feed 5,000 people with just five barley loaves and two fish. They've seen him cleanse a leper. They've seen him offer forgiveness to a, a paralyzed man and then tell him to walk. And for the first time, he was able to walk. They've seen Jesus heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. They've seen Jesus calm a storm. They've seen Jesus even raise the dead back to life. Yes, the disciples had so much to celebrate when it came to Jesus. But we, in the 21st century, have even more. Because on this side of Easter, we know that Jesus comes to the city ultimately to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have the joy of a new life. Yes, what are we celebrating today? And who are we inviting to join us in that celebration? Because the truth is, as Paul writes in Philippians, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. We need to invite our friends and our coworkers and our classmates to join us in the celebration so they might experience the joy that we have in knowing him. Please join him as he pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you're the God who is with us and for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that in Jesus, we know that we have victory over both sin and death. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to live into the new life you're calling us to do, that we would be the joyful, celebratory people that you have called us to be recognizing that Jesus was a man of celebration. His first miracle in the Gospel of John is turning water into wine. Oh God, help us to be the people who have a joyful, contagious spirit where we naturally invite others to join us in the celebration every Sunday. Lord, by your spirit, guide us as we seek to reach out to those who are far from you. Help us to be bold in our invitation so that others might experience the joy that we have in knowing Jesus is our Lord. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Uh, Howard talked about, uh, one point about 